The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, my name's Jeff Disteroff. Um, my wife, Missy, and I live uh, in North Liberty, Iowa, and for the past uh, 20 years almost, I've had the good fortune of working at the University of Iowa Community Credit Union here in Eastern Iowa. Um, my real claim to fame, however, is that I'm the parent of, of Allie and Nate Disterhoft. Uh, I'm very thankful to have uh, Allie with me uh, here today. Um, uh, some of my fondest memories of Allie, though, probably involve a, a, a five-foot-tall Nerf hoop in our basement, um, which night after night, both Allie and Nate would guarantee that they would not fight if we let them play uh, against each other. And without fail, every single night they fought, uh, every time they played. <laughs> but I mean, our family is just so competitive that, you know, like, it kind of brings it out of, in us. And um, that's kind of helped shape who I am today. Um, I graduated from West High. I'm a sophomore currently at the University of Iowa. And I'm on the women's basketball team. I think growing up kind of, you know, with two parents who both played sports in high school, my dad um, oh, was <laughs> right around and in college, my mom, um, my brother also played sports too, that we kind of grew up in that, you know, that competitive nature, so. And, you know, as far as our relationship with um, Christ goes, um, yeah, I'll maybe say a little bit about mine uh, first. I grew up attending a non-denominational church pretty much every Sunday of my life. Uh, and I was sort of forced to. My mom was very good about making sure I was in church every Sunday. And so I think the fact that I was forced to attend church, quite frankly, for a number of years, sort of drove a wedge between God and I, um, maybe to the point that when Missy and I started our own family, we attended church on a regular basis, um, but we were kind of going through the motions. We, as a good friend of mine, Eric, um, often says, you know, I had religion, but I didn't have the relationship. Like, just going to church on Sundays was kind of something that we viewed, like... Had to do. Kind of had to do, you know, check off the list. Yeah. Um, but it was really, like, the summer after my sophomore year um, that things, like, really changed for me personally just because that's when, you know, Lyon had her accident and um, she died in a moped accident summer after my sophomore year and her mom died, you know, only 12 days later. And that was kind of a time in my life where I had a lot of built-up anger and, you know, obviously grief, sadness, guilt, whatever it may be. And I just didn't really like who I was. You know, I think, like, looking in, it would be easy to say that things were going great for us, you know. Hmm. I was doing fine academically, athletically, had that scholarship, you know, to go to Iowa, but I was missing something. Yeah. And I think it was kind of hard to, to actually recognize that until something that major happened in our lives. And, and in a weird kind of way, I think you and I were sort of in the same place at that time. Missy and I have been blessed with, with our health and great relationships. Um, great family around, um, steady jobs, but there was still a palpable void. There was a gap in our in our lives that that I just couldn't quite put my finger on. That was kind of you know that initial hurdle that we had to get past and yeah. recognizing that hey we've been going to church for however many years, but we still didn't have that connection with Jesus that you know that no. we were seeking and needed. And and so the timing was perfect for us to get involved in uh, Parkview, uh, kind of thanks to your leadership and impetus. And, and then from there, I think we've just been running hard after Jesus the last couple of years, and uh, it's been a great run ever since.
All right, happy Easter. I'm glad to be with you. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and um, awesome to celebrate with you. So there's kind of a five-service challenge going on, and um, you, guys, you guys should dominate it because you're—anyway, we'll talk about it a little bit. But um, if we could see what's going on all around the world today, there are an estimated two billion people who are celebrating Easter. Some of them will do it next week, um, but some, some this weekend. And um, that's, it's amazing to picture that. And I've had the privilege of being with believers in other countries, uh, to worship with believers in southern Sudan under a thatched roof, or with believers in Japan packing into apartment buildings, or just all kinds of settings, and just imagining people doing what we're doing this morning. It's truly remar- remarkable. And there's kind of a, a trend or a, a tradition that you'll see in many cultures where in a gathering like this on Easter Sunday, where the person up front will shout out, Christ is risen, and then everybody else yells back, he is risen indeed. Okay, so we're going to join in with that. Uh, 4.30 did great yesterday, 6 o'clock and even 8 o'clock this morning, like froggy throats, <clears throat> you know, up early, earlier than you guys were, they were here, all right, so... But you guys should kick this, like you guys should blow the roof off right here, so let's go for it, okay? So I'll start, you guys respond with, he is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And I think you could even notch that up a little bit better. Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah, and that's why we're here, and uh, there is a very profound but a very simple truth that I think this risen Jesus wants us to know, and you see it kind of all around us, it's that Jesus so loved you. That's, you know, it was back in December, I was on a prayer retreat and I was asking God, what do you want us to do on Easter? What do you want us, so even before Christmas, asking, and I just sensed God say, would you remind my people, would you tell my people that I love them, that I love them? And it's such a profound truth and, and not necessarily knowing why, but it's just been interesting. The last services, just seeing people that I know uh, even since January on, I've been walking through some really tough things, and I'm going, God, that's why you wanted me to remind these people that you love them, or people that have had many awesome things going on in their lives these last three months. But again, that same message rings true, that God so loves you. So that's what we're talking about. It's really stemming from one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we're going to talk about that today and make sure that we truly get that because if we do, the way we live is going to be radically different. So let me pray and then we'll jump into this very simple but very profound uh, statement. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much that we are talking right now not to a dead historical figure or to a concept, but we are talking to a risen Savior right now. And Jesus, you want your people to know this morning how much you love them. You want us to know that so deeply that it will change how we live. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, and that you would just pour your love, the true love you have for us, into us, and that it would change us. And so uh, please speak today powerfully through your word. And what I'm going to ask you to do now is could you pray, just quietly where you are, pray and ask God to show you how much he loves you. Yeah. 
Yep, Jesus, help this not be just another Easter, but speak to your people in fresh ways. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, it's fun to hear the little cooing going on around the room, so not a distraction. Glad families are here. Uh, We have a lot of people joining us live stream today, too, so very excited to be with you. So so Jesus so loves you. Let's go back to maybe uh, when you were in junior high or maybe elementary school or maybe some of you guys are there right now, and maybe where kind of like guy-girl romance maybe starts kicking in. And at that level, usually how the message is spread that somebody likes you Maybe it's kind of from a friend to a friend to a friend. And you might hear something like, I, I know somebody who likes you. You know, I know somebody has a crush on you. And so, oh, who is it? You know, and so you're wondering and you're curious. And it's interesting to watch a response then. If it's somebody that is underwhelming to you, then be, so-and-so has a crush on you. You go, oh, okay, well, whatever. So, yeah, I knew that. Or whatever. So you just roll on. But if it's somebody for whatever reason, because he's cute or hot or whatever, you're just really drawn to them, and you find out they like you, or they love you, or have a crush on you, just, oh, like you just, your heart starts pounding, maybe you get sweaty palms, and all of that, and so what I want us to do to start with, Jesus so loved you, is that I, I do think, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, I think this is a hard concept for, understand, for us to understand, and to really live out that Jesus so loved us, so let's break this down, and let's start with who it is that loves us. Let's talk first about Jesus. And so if we go by Time Magazine, in 2013, Time Magazine said that Jesus was the most significant person that ever walked on the planet. It's a good start, but let's go a lot deeper than than Time Magazine. Um, Again, I mentioned that today over 2 billion people on the planet are worshiping and celebrating what Jesus has done in rising from the dead. That would be profound of anybody, have 2 billion followers, but let's look at who Jesus is was when he lived on this earth. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown. Uh, He never had a formal education. Um, He never was elected to a political office. Uh, He never got married, never wrote a book. Uh, He, when he died, uh, died poor and homeless. So you look at that scenario and you go, wow, how did somebody like that become so prominent and so influential today? One of the guys that knew him best was a guy named John, and John wrote some of the books in the New Testament. He wrote one of the Gospels, one of the four stories of the life of Christ, and John said this about Jesus. He said, the word became flesh, and he lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory that came from the one and only, uh, full of grace and truth. Like throughout John's writings, he says, we saw Jesus do this. We heard Jesus say this. And so very clearly what John laid out is what Jesus taught is that Jesus is totally unique and that he lived in this life fully God and fully man and that God's glory was shown through the life of Jesus. And so that's who loves you, this unique God-man who walked in this planet. And when you look at what Jesus did to show the glory of God, there's things like he walked on water, he cured people from diseases blindness, leprosy, um, being lame. He raised the dead. Whenever Jesus taught, large crowds would gather to hear him. When he debated the scholars of his day, he won every debate. He silenced them in their arguments. So that's how profound Jesus is. That's the one who loves you. He calmed a storm. Um, he, he made predictions that we've seen come true. He was a prophet. Uh, there are many things that he said about himself. He said he was fully God. In John 10.10, 10, he said, I came that you might have life and life to the full. 
and millions and millions of people throughout history have had their lives changed because of that statement that Jesus has given them new life. In John 14, 6, Jesus made a very profound statement claiming to be the unique way that we can have access to our creator. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He put himself in that unique role as the one and only Savior for the, for the whole world. And so what Jesus did was through his teaching and with his disciples, he made it very clear that the reason he came to this earth was to give his life away, was to die for us. In Mark 10, 45, he said that the Son of Man, that was an Old Testament phrase used of this great one who would come from God. So he's claiming that title. He's saying the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's how powerful his life is. And then his death, even in his death, the trials, the crucifixion, Jesus showed amazing power and control. It's interesting, there are four stories of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. About a third of the content out of those books is about the last week of Jesus' life, about his arrests, the trials. And what you see throughout that is that Jesus was in complete control of the situation. The night they came to arrest him, they had soldiers and the equivalent of a police force coming in to get him at night when he was in a garden praying with his disciples. And when they asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? All he did was answer, I am. And they all fell down. Like, so that phrase, I am, was the, the, the name that God used when he was speaking to Moses way back in the Old Testament from the burning bush. He said, he identified himself as I am. So when they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I am. And boom, they all went down. So from the get-go, you see that Jesus was in charge. And they arrested him, they beat him, they mocked him, they hung him up on a cross and crucified him. Jesus could have stopped that at any time. He could have just gone, I am, I am, I am, I am, you know, just have everybody fall down and then he could take off, right? So in complete control. And just imagine just standing there and taking the blows and the hits. They hit him with, with thick sticks in the head. They put a crown of thorns on him. They hung him on a cross. But through the whole thing, he was in complete control because he knew what he was doing. He was giving his life as a ransom for many. He was giving his life as a ransom for us. Even as he was dying, he had the composure and the compassion to ask his father to forgive the people who were mocking him and beating him and who put him on the cross. He asked for their forgiveness. And as he's dying, the guy dying next to him reaches out to Jesus. Just, I don't, we don't know, did he know about Jesus before this? But just watching Jesus' compassion and his composure and his power, ask Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Can you imagine what a desperate request? There's a guy dying on a cross next to you, but you're asking him to save you. And Jesus, again, I would be, when I'm hurting, I'm not thinking about other people. I'm thinking about me. But for Jesus to have that compassion to say, this day you will be with me in paradise. All the way through, you see the power and the glory of God shining through the life of Jesus. You know, it was so strong, the way that Jesus died, that one of the Roman soldiers, these guys, when you read about them, they were ruthless. They almost, you could just sense that they enjoyed beating people and causing people to suffer, that one of these hardened Roman soldiers just simply watching Jesus died, when Jesus died, said, this truly was the son of God. Just the power. And that's the Jesus who loves you. 
And the story doesn't end there. That's why we're here today. That three days later, just like Jesus said, the tomb will be empty. I'm not going to be there because I'm going to come back to life. And so can you imagine those poor guards? It's a pretty simple assignment. Guard a dead body. Don't let anything happen to this. Okay, I can do that. Yep. You know, and so you've got a guard, a really well-trained, well-armed guard around this tomb, and Jesus is gone. The, the tomb is empty. Can you imagine going to your boss, like, um, okay, boss, I, I don't know what happened, but the body's gone. Like, what? You know, like you can't even just guard a dead body. So body is gone, tomb is empty, and even there was no explanation for it. So the leaders at that time had to concoct a story, and they bribed the guards and said, just say that the disciples stole the body. Like, they did not want the message of a resurrected Jesus spreading all over. They thought they'd done away with that guy. Um, but he was alive. And in fact, the way we know that is the Bible tells us for 40 days, um, Jesus lived with his disciples. He appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. Uh, and then Christianity exploded. Jesus went back up into heaven. But the whole movement of Christianity exploded right then. That has no explanation. You would not expect a movement to grow and expand and explode so quickly unless something happened. And what happened was that Jesus was risen from the dead. If you want to start a religion um, and make one up, you would probably just go into a cave and write something up and then just come out and show everybody. You would not, you know, if it was a fake religion, you wouldn't tie it and tether it to something that could be historically proven or disproven like Christianity is. The foundation of Christianity really is that Jesus rose again from the dead. So much so that um, Paul wrote in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 17, he said, um, if... um, Christ has not been raised. Uh, we are, our faith is futile. We are still in our sins. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Jesus lived this amazing life. He died in a powerful way. But the punchline is that he rose again from the dead. And this same John, who was Jesus' closest friend on the earth, at the, John had the privilege of writing the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, And God gave John a vision of what's going on in heaven. One thing John saw in Revelation 5 was that there will be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation in heaven worshiping Jesus. And we're seeing that today as the gospel spreads and expands. 150,000 people per day, if this is an average day, are giving their lives to follow Jesus Christ. And so the, that's one thing John saw in heaven. But the most amazing thing John saw in heaven was in chapter one when he first saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, John said he saw God's glory in John when he was on the earth and all the miracles he did. But look what John saw when he saw Jesus in his glory in heaven. He said that his eyes were like blazing fire, his face shone like the sun, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and it says that John just fell at his feet as though dead. It wasn't like, yo, man, hey, buddy. You know, he just fell at his feet, seeing Jesus in his glory. And Jesus picked him up and said, fear not, because I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. That's who loves you. Jesus so loves you. That's the awesome. So 
whoever it is that gets you excited on this planet that loves you or likes you or is a Christian you, I mean, that's cool. Uh, but in a much greater way, Jesus loves you. I don't care how hot or cool she is or he is. Jesus is amazing. And that is, he is the one who loves you. So Jesus, we've established that. Who loves you is amazing, astonishing. Let's talk about the next phrase. Jesus so loved you. Let's talk about love here. So it's interesting. I read this a couple weeks ago that in a seminary, that's a place where people are training to become pastors or um, missionaries um, or religious educators, whatever. But it's a place where they go to learn more about the Bible. And so you would think these people would know a lot about God and have a really heart, have a heart for other people to know God. They surveyed 120 seminary students and asked them, does God love you? And it was astonishing to me, out of that survey, only two responded yes. Many of them like wrote in, well, I know the Bible says that God loves me, but I don't, I don't know that I always believe that or always experience that. And that just blew me away. But I just wonder if that's our experience too, that sometimes, you know, true or false, does God love you? Well, yeah, the Bible says that, but, but do I really experience that? And I wonder if the problem is that when we hear that word love, it has been so diluted uh, that we just, it kind of loses its punch for us. In fact, the way we use love a lot of times, you know, I love the Hawkeyes, you know, unless they don't go to a bowl game for many years or the NCAA tournament, then I don't like the Hawkeyes. You know, like we can, we can come and go. And basically, I think our typical kind of love really is like the Toyota motto was, I love what you do for me. That we will love someone or something as long as that is meeting our needs. Like sometimes our view of love is pretty selfish. As long as you make me happy, I'm going to love you. But as soon as the day comes where you don't do it for me anymore, you don't make me happy, then I'm out of here. So our love can be kind of fickle. It can come and go. um, And it really can be a self-focused kind of thing. And so maybe that's why when we hear that God loves us, we kind of project our love onto God and we go, okay, well, God will love me uh, if, if I make him happy. And what a daunting challenge that would be. How could people like us constantly make a God as holy and perfect and big as he is? How, how can we make him happy? And so maybe when we hear that God loves us, we kind of project our love onto him. That's why we've got to be clear about what the Bible says. When the Bible says that God loves us, here are three qualities we've got to understand. One is, when God says, I love you, God's love initiates. God's love moves toward us. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love through this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you to become good enough, and then Jesus died for you. God doesn't wait for you to measure up and then show you his love, that in your worst, as you are a sinner, God's love moves toward you. It's kind of like a firefighter or, or a police officer when there's, when there's something, uh, when there's a tragedy going on, you'll see people running away. But what you see is these, these again, firefighters, policemen moving in to the situation. In every one of our lives, there are pockets, there are places in our heart, there are things we have done that we are just completely ashamed of and we do not want people to see. And where if people could open that door and look into our lives, they'd go, ah, get me out of here. That's gross. I hate that. And where while everybody else would run from that, God runs into that. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. God is moving toward you with his love. That is so radically different uh, than our love. So um, the truth is, is that God initiates his love toward us. 
Uh, and the truth is we're all sinful people in this room. We have all fallen short of God. And I will put myself in the front of that line. I, you guys look great on Easter. I mean, you guys are all dressed up and all this. And um, so, I mean, but I, I know me. I know my heart. I know the things I've done. I know the things I've said. So, um, but it still astonishes me that in spite of sin in my life, God moves toward me in his love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the second part about God's love is that God's love sacrifices. Uh, Sometimes we demand others make sacrifices for us to make us happy, to show us love. But God's love is totally different. 1 John 3.16 says that we know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There was nothing in us that God needed. There was nothing in us that deserved his love. And yet Jesus sacrificially gave his life for us. Came across this statement this week. If the value of a love gift is measured by what it costs the giver and by the degree to which the recipient deserves it, then clearly Jesus is the most extravagant gift ever given. We certainly did not deserve to have such a profound God, man, Jesus Christ give his life for us. But that's, that's clear evidence of God's love for you. He gave you the most extravagant gift, the most costly gift that has ever been given. God's love sacrifices. And the last statement here is that God's love never ends. You can never stop God's love. Romans 8.38, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is relentless in his love for you. He is unstoppable. His love is permanent. His love is eternal. He will not stop initiating love towards you. Uh, last night, Kentucky lost. It was awesome. I was glad to see that. Okay, so I predicted it last night, by the way. So, um, but you know, oh, Kentucky's unstoppable. No, they're not. They, they lost, okay? So um, God's love is unstoppable. Nothing will shut down God's ability to show love uh, to you. So uh, Psalm 23, 6, we're going to study that great, probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. We're studying that the next seven weeks. Verse 6 says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just came across recently that that word follow could probably better be, it was more of a hunting term, like stalking kind of has a negative connotation, but in a good way, God's love stalks you. It's constant. It's constantly showing itself to you that God is relentless in his desire to just follow you day after day in your life and show you his goodness and his mercy. So uh, God's love sacrifices, he initiates, and it never ends. And so Jesus so loves, now let's get to the last part, let's get to you, let's get to us. Uh, we have an amazing need for this love. Um, and that's, that was the whole reason uh, that we, we went through Good Friday. That's the whole reason why Jesus died on the cross. Um, my daughters go to West High, and one of them had a friend uh, make a statement on Friday that kind of took her back a little bit. Her friend said something like, um, why do they call this Good Friday? They should call it obscenity for Jesus day. Like, so just fill in the blank there. They should say blank Jesus day. Like, uh, why, why is this good? Look what Jesus had to do. And uh, we said, so how'd she answer? It's like, I don't know. Like, and it just kind of took her back. So we had a little conversation about that. But what's so good about Good Friday? What's so good about Jesus going to the cross is that the good thing is the Bible uh, is very honest with us about who we are. God loves us 
uh, but he loves us too much to let us be deluded about who we really are. And what, hap- what you see at Good Friday is that this world is so broken, and that includes me at the front of the line and you guys behind me. You can rank yourselves however you want. But all of us fall far short from a holy God. All of us do. And there is no remedy for us. There is no fix for that. We cannot help ourselves. Our problem is so intense and so severe that it took the death of the only God-man, Jesus Christ, on the cross to not only expose that, like you gotta ask, why did he die? Why did such an amazing uh, person, God, man, have to die? The answer is that's how big our problem was. And we had no other hope than to have Jesus die for our sins. We, we have a big need. There's a verse in the Bible that makes it very clear uh, to me. It's Jeremiah 2.13, where it's God speaking in the first person, and he says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. That's a well. Broken cisterns that can't hold water. That's the epitome of offending God. Here's God that wants to bless us, pour life into us, and we're ignoring him. We're forsaking him. We're doing our thing instead of his, and even digging our own wells to satisfy ourselves, saying, God, you can't do that for me. We have all done that to him. And so God's response to that, because he is a God who loves us, is that he is offering us an amazing gift through Jesus Christ. He is offering to forgive our sins. And we go back to our key verse from the day for for today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That word perish is intense because that's exactly where we're headed. If we forsake God and we walk away from him, we are heading to death. Jesus had a phrase he used with people that were religious but didn't really know God. He called them whitewashed tombs. Like on the outside you look nice, but on the inside you're dead. And apart from God, apart from his life, we're dead. There's another part of the Bible that calls us, equates us to zombies. That if you are, you're like, a, you're like walking and you look alive on the outside, but you're dead because you have sinned against God and you're cut off from his life. But God so loved us that Jesus offers to forgive us of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. And the key word there is the word believe. What does it mean to believe? It's different than, for example, saying, well, I believe there was a JFK, and the JFK died an early death. It's, it's different than that. Believe in the Bible means you believe who Jesus, that Jesus is who he said he is, and that you believe Jesus can do what he says he can do. That you believe Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for your sins, and that he can forgive you, and that he can give you eternal life. When you put that faith on Jesus Christ, then your sins are forgiven and you have a relationship with God where you can then begin to grow and understand his love for you. In fact, God is so committed to you knowing about his love that the minute you accept Jesus as your savior, the Bible says God will give you his Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's key roles, it's in Romans 5, 5, is to pour God's love into your heart. Because I think God knows we live in this world where we can get beat up and our identity can be confused and who are we and does God really love me? And we'll still battle with sin, but God wants to relentlessly pour his love into your heart through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let me just end with this. Um, Some of you might be sitting here going like, when are you going to tell me something new, Doug? Like I knew this coming in. Let Let me just say three things 
Um, and this is not to shame you. This is more to serve as a gauge on the dashboard of your life to help you measure, do you really understand the love of God? Because if you do, there should be three things true about your life. If we are really experiencing and tapping into the love of God, one is, uh, 1 John 4.18 says, that perfect love casts out all fear. So I'm going to ask, are you living fearlessly? Uh, and, and we're going to slip in and out, but if you see yourself just constantly living in fear, or you're not sleeping at night, or you're worried, or you're afraid, it just shows you do not understand the love of God. Remember who it is, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, all the things Jesus has done, relentlessly loves you. Like, what are you afraid of? Like, what is there to fear? Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give you all things? You've got an amazing setup. So are you truly living boldly and passionately? Are you living without fear? So if you're living fearlessly, you're understanding the love of God. How about this one? If you're living uh, selflessly, selflessly, you're not living for yourself but you're just clearly giving your life for others. Uh, Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. The love of Christ compels us, it forces us, because we believe this, one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. There's a whole new mindset for living. If you're insecure in the love of God, then you're going to look at other people and you're going to want to use them so that they'll, they'll meet your needs. They'll accept you. They'll love you. You'll be a taker, not a giver. But when you understand the love of God, you are freed up. Uh, we are freed up from living for ourselves and freed up to really show God's love with others. So fearlessly, selflessly, um, and I had the last one down. I thought this thing was memorized. Here we go. Shamelessly shamelessly is the last one and not in a bad way shameless but like you are unashamed to just talk about Jesus because if something is really awesome to you you talk about it Psalm 63 verse 3 says because your steadfast love is better than life my lips will praise you there's a direct connect between what excites you and what comes out of your lips case in point my cul-de-sac last night at 10 o'clock at night one of my neighbors is an avid Wisconsin fan. And at 10 o'clock at night, we just started hearing, whoa, you know, like outside, yeah, you're just this yelling. And this guy, this guy's awesome. And he's got three boys that are awesome too. And then you start hearing, yeah, yeah, you know, like these, these little guy voices. And then um, my son looked out and there's this big obnoxious W red flag being woven. And then, I mean, it kept staying. It wasn't just once or twice. This probably went on for five or 10 minutes. Then you'd hear like, go Hawks, go, like other people are coming out. And so, but um, boy, that just, I mean, it wasn't much after game over. We're hearing all about the Badgers on our cul-de-sac. And, and again, another clear sign that, that you really understand the love of God, that it's scoring, it's hitting you in your heart is that you're going you're gonna to talk about it. And that's, that's one of the hallmarks of Christianity. That Remember, it started right after Jesus rose again from the dead. It started exploding right there in Jerusalem, um, not centuries later, but right away because people saw the risen Christ. You couldn't shut people up. When they saw him and so overwhelmed by his love, they just kept talking about him. Even at the threat of death, you had emperors like Nero who were throwing Christians to the lions 
you know, seriously, you got to think, okay, if I sign up for this team, I might become lion food, okay? So what's going to cause you to just run ahead and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that movement? And it's that the love of God just propelled these people to face all kinds of things. You look throughout this story, the history of Christianity, it has spread in the face of amazing persecution and opposition. Even this week, reading what happened in Kenya, where terrorists go door to door through a college campus in a dormitory and open doors and say, are you a Christian? And if you say yes, you get shot. What is it? And it's Psalm 63, 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's astonishing. So um, are, you, are you tasting God's love to that extent? Is it is so real to you that you are fearless, that you are selfless, and that you are shameless? You're just, you just talking about him because of how, how amazing and how awesome he is. Christians don't kill for their message. They die for it. Isn't that profound? And this world's going to see more and more of that, I think, in the, the years ahead. And I just wonder if, if we'll be part of the ranks of those real believers around the world that just aren't ashamed. They're going to stand up because the love of God is better than life. And so... Um, I want to go back to um, Jeff and Allie's video here, and what you're going to see, just to kind of wrap this up, is after they begin to understand the love of God, what that's done for their lives, it's kind of, it's a sweet ending, so I want you guys to dial in and listen uh, to the rest of this video. <clears throat> How's my life changed since my relationship with Jesus Christ really kind of became in earnest, or began in earnest maybe just three years ago. Uh, but the phrase that comes to mind for me is a, is, a, is a made up word. I don't know, it came to me not long after um, we started attending Parkview. And, and the phrase I call it is comph, um, for lack of a better term. It's a combination of calm and warmth. Uh, there's a warmth, there's a, there's a feeling of being loved that, that just wasn't there before. And that's a, that's a, there's a depth to it and that eternal nature of it that is so cool that you just can't obtain through, through worldly love, quite frankly. But the other part is calm. Um, you know, we're gonna go through some good days and some bad days, um, especially during uh, this time of year uh, with a lot of basketball, a lot of times in gymnasiums and basketball courts, things of that nature. And there's a sense of calm uh, in my life. There's clearly a sense of calm in, in Missy's life, and I think even in yours, um, as well as Nate's. That, that wasn't, clearly wasn't there just three years ago. And so if people say, well, you know, tell me what the practical implications of, of your relationship with Jesus are, you know, that's a pretty practical implication. You, you feel the love uh, quite literally and figuratively, but you can also get a sense of calm uh, that in today's day and age isn't always there, isn't, isn't always pervasive. And, you know, going to Parkview and just developing that relationship with Jesus has really helped me, you know, not to be so caught up in the daily happenings of, you know, my life, you know, whether that's school or basketball or whatnot, you know, knowing Jesus, um, you know, I'm able to deal with those worries and anxieties and stresses a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. Um, well, and, and as we've talked about, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, do you think you were put here on earth to put a, a leather ball through an iron hoop? No, yeah, not at all. I mean, that has become so apparent today. You guys have done a great job of, you know, enforcing me that it's great to be remembered as a good basketball player, but you want to be remembered as a good person. And that starts with, you know, being a good Christian and, right. you know, chasing after Jesus. One of my favorite movies, I think actually one of our favorite movies, is uh, Shawshank Redemption. And, you know, it's a story about spirit, it's a story about life, it's a story about love, friendship, um, 
not necessarily a story about faith, but certainly a story about hope. And at the end of the movie, Andy writes a letter to, uh, to Red, his, uh, his friend at the time, and I don't know exactly how the language goes, but you know, he says, if you've come this far, perhaps you're willing to come a little bit further. And I feel that way a little bit about um, you know, the folks that we've got in the church today. Uh, you've come this far. You've, you've got, you're, you're physically here. You're in the building. Uh, you've made a little bit of commitment. Would you be willing to go just a little further? Would you join a community group? Would you get involved with the ministry? Would you learn more a little bit about the, the million things, the million great things that are going on here at Parkview and go a little farther in your relationship with, uh, with God and with Jesus Christ? So I just want to piggyback off something he said there. I don't want us to just be of the number that say, does God love you? And intellectually, yeah, but then not experiencing it. And so I just piggyback off what just Jeff said, that if, you know, if we're not living fearlessly and selflessly and shamelessly, then really digging in. God, what is it about your love that I don't understand? So a few things you can lean into and continue to dig would be in your bulletin, for example, um, there's some notes from today's sermon. On one side, I've given you some classic passages in the Bible that talk about the love of God. So maybe it's you and a Bible uh, just saying, God, teach me more about your love in reading those passages. Or like Pastor Jeff said earlier, uh, maybe it's you jumping into a group. And I know that's been part of Jeff on the screen's story is that a couple years ago we met, we talked, but then Jeff jumped in with a group of other men that were reading the Bible and trying to understand God. And so there's something powerful about doing this with other people. So I echo what Pastor Jeff said about getting in a community group or joining others in this, trying to understand who God is. So we'd love to help you do that as well. But I think the main thing you need to make sure that you've, you've responded to is God's gift to you, that he has offered uh, to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life, to restore a relationship with your creator so that God can pour his love into your life. And so if you've never done that before, Easter 2015 would be an amazing time to say, that's when my life changed. That's when I accepted God's gift to me of, of eternal life and having my sins forgiven through Jesus. And, and so you can even do that right now. We can do that this morning. And so I'm gonna lead a prayer and if this is something you'd like to do to begin that relationship with God, you can do it right here. It'd be awesome. Okay, so let's pray. And let me just lead us here. You could pray to God and say um, something like this. Say, God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I admit to you that I have done my own thing. I have walked away from you. I have rejected you. Um, I admit to you that I, I need to be forgiven of my sins, that I, I need to experience your love in my life and I need the eternal life you're offering and I believe that Jesus is who he said he was that he's fully God that he's my savior and I believe that he can forgive my sins so Jesus I take that gift from you of forgiveness of sins and of new life and God I pray if anybody prays that or uh, is still trying to understand this, give them the courage to talk to somebody and tell them what they did or, or ask the questions. And God, I pray for those of us that maybe knew that coming in today that have a relationship with you, that we would dig deeper into this vast resource you've given us of your love, your love that can just set us free uh, and to really live this life the way that you've called us to live it. So we praise you and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.